0: Hey, peace, family. Will Roundtree. And here's my story I'm sharing on Trip Life Podcast. And let's make sure we stay connected. So make sure you follow me on social media across all platforms at Mr. Will Roundtree. Uh, Make sure you also subscribe to my YouTube, same handle. And I hope my experiences inspire you. And remember, dreams over doubt. And stay updated by checking out the newest episode of the most electric podcast in the world on Wednesdays and Sundays. Peace.
1: Hello. Yes. Okay. we have Mr. Will Roundtree on the line. How are you doing today?
0: I'm doing incredible. Thank you for asking.
1: Um, I know I just said this to you, but once again, I have to give a special shout out um, to your entire team. Uh, You have great people around you. And like they say, if you want the dream to work, the team has to work. Right.
0: Absolutely. Hey, They say you're only as great as your team. So, you know, I definitely pride a lot to my team.
1: You have great people around you. So greatness you. is gonna happen, of course. So um we can just hop right into it. I have a lot of questions. You've you're living uh, you're not you have lived, but you're living a fascinating life. So um, Thank you. there's a lot I want to kind of cover with you today. And again, we really appreciate um having you on, making some time in your busy schedule for us. Oh yeah, you're welcome anytime. Thank you for having me, by the way. So my first question is. How would you describe this current era of entrepreneurship? So I
0: think this era of entrepreneurship is one entrepreneurship is now kind of looked at as like the new career path. I think that a lot of the younger and millennial entrepreneurs has kind of made entrepreneurship look look a little sexier. You know, when you think about entrepreneurship 10, 20 years ago. You primarily thought about, you know, maybe someone of a more mature age uh, running, a, you know, your typical p- protocol type of possibly business or network marketing or something like that. But now, I mean, you have people who are getting into entrepreneurs. I mean, I went to an award show in Atlanta, Georgia, about uh, two weeks ago, and it was honoring entrepreneurs 17 and under. I mean, it was a five-year-old photographer, like a national you know known photographer at the age of 5 so i think that entrepreneurship is definitely uh at at a very uh a highlighted moment in our society i love entrepreneurship i've been in it for about 15 years myself and i think it should be something as an as another path you know you have the military you have uh, uh you know college and i think now we should start educating our youth at a young age that entrepreneurship is also that second path or excuse me, that third path that they can take.
1: Absolutely. And, um, you know, you said something very interesting there, um, about entrepreneurship. Um, but I want to ask you this question of, do you consider yourself now a businessman or do you consider yourself still an entrepreneur at heart? Very good question. So I think
0: that the terms definitely could be interchangeable. Okay. Uh, I, I definitely will coin myself a, a, a businessman. One, because I do own multiple companies. Right. Uh, I think the entrepreneurship is kind of that entry level uh, where you are still kind of figuring it out. But I think even just the term entrepreneurship now is kind of you know, it, 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 it's now it accepted. I can remember back when I first started entrepreneurship, you were almost kind of looked at like a hustle man, right? <laughs> you know, but almost now, a
1: con artist,
0: right? Yeah. yeah, but now I think, you know, society has accepted it because you have, you know, shows like Shark Tank that that praise entrepreneurship. You know, you have individuals who are now serial entrepreneurs or you have individuals like Gary Vee, who really doesn't have a product. But he's an entrepreneur because his he, he's you know, he has his, uh, you know, service based um, business of what he is offering to the world. So not everything. So some people may look at uh, business, meaning you just have a product or a particular service. But some people are just influencers. You're an entrepreneur, you know, or even, you know, I do a, a, a national tour where I go and speak in barber shops called the 50 men series. Barbers are entrepreneurs. Essentially. Absolutely. You don't, if if you don't cut any hair, you don't eat. And so it would almost kind of be like an entrepreneur is a hunter. You, you, you eat what you kill. And if you don't kill anything and we're talking about in the sense of closing any deals, then, you know, it's going to be hard to eat for the next couple of days, weeks or whatever. So I think entrepreneurship is what I am at heart, but you know, for the, the 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 textbook definition, because I do have actual companies, multiple companies that I run, I'm definitely a businessman.
1: Absolutely. And, um you know, when you become, you know, a CEO and you have some stature and uh, you're, you've established yourself, you can, you know, rise in those rankings. Right. Absolutely. What is Jay Z's quote? I'm not a business man. man I'm, I'm a business, a business man. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. One of my favorites. So I heard a rumor that you actually have a follow-up to the 50 men barbershop series.
0: I have a couple. Yes. Okay. 50 women, 50 women. Okay. 50 women. Yes. I think it is, you know, not just wanting to make sure that the, the fellows are taken care of, but you know, there's a entire population of, 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 of women entrepreneurs and it, that by nature, women are the best entrepreneurs. One, because usually they're a little bit more, you know, prompt. <laughs> you know, usually they organize and just their uh, God given, n- n- you know, nature of nurturing people and yeah. individuals, because as an entrepreneur, you're in the people business. Absolutely. So their emotional intelligence, I would say. hundred percent. hundred percent. It's a lot more heightened than us, especially in the beginning stages. So. So, yeah, so that's definitely going to be our follow up where, you know, our focus, uh, I don't want to use the word focus, but our kind of next phase will be to target and work with uh, entrepreneurs with our 50 women series.
1: Okay. Well, that's awesome. Well, I kind of want to take us a little further back. Um, You grew up in Milwaukee. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay. So I, I actually went to I kind of moved around a lot, but I really went to high school and lived there for a while um, in Chicago, right? So, you know, kind of cousin uh, areas, I would say. Um, Tell us about Milwaukee. Like, what was it like growing up there? So Milwaukee, you know,
0: is a typical Midwestern blue-collar city, uh, you know, uh, from a uh, in from a work standpoint, you know, back in the 80s, early 90s, a lot of factory jobs, um, the crime rate was pretty high there because like most, you know, kind of middle sized metropolitan cities, when you get rid of a lot of what made the economy, which were the factory jobs, there were less things to do. So the crime rate got pretty high. I mean, it was you know uh, when I was coming up in high school, I mean when I was coming up in school uh you know it was gang activity, all of that and so but one of the things that I've always prided was my parents did a very good job of sheltering us, even though we didn't always live in the best of neighborhoods uh they kept us engaged, whether it was you know uh being active in sports, being active at church, uh keeping us you know uh, you know kind of the village raising the family, you know made sure we always you know were active with our families. Uh, our uh, immediate and you know, uh, uh, aunts and uncles and different things like that. I mean, I have a huge family. And then every summer I would go to Mississippi. So I got a chance to see kind of the best of both worlds, which I eventually ended up moving to Mississippi after my freshman year of high school. And so, but uh, the thing about Milwaukee is that I, I, that I always kind of pride myself on is that it shaped me. You know, uh, you kind of have to grow up quick, you know, the school of hard knocks. And, even though you know I was never in any real trouble it still had to give you a sense of you know thinking quick on your feet you know being chased by the gangs and you know dodging the, the the drug dealers and you know different things like that but you know I I I definitely would not trade that experience for nothing in the world uh I know Milwaukee is still kind of going through its transition you know like any major or mid-sized metropolitan city but um you know um it it, it, is definitely had its uh, ups and downs. It has its benefits and, you know, and I still call it home. You know, I go back pretty frequently and and, and more importantly, because I still do have a lot of family there.
1: And I saw that you kind of detailed an experience about like just walking the school and uh, the earlier. Yes. How was that like in that moment?
0: So, yeah, I remember my freshman year, I used to walk to high school and, you know, we lived in at this time, it would be kind of considered, you know, a a somewhat middle, lower class, affluent African-American community or black community. And on my way to the school, you know, the police stopped me. I couldn't have been no more than 13, 14. Uh, I'm not sure if I looked mature for my age at that time. Uh, and they, uh, you know, stopped me, uh, you know, helped me, detained me for quite a while and said I fit the description of someone who had did a break in, you know, the night before. And, uh, you know, it, it definitely I would say going back to one of the things that Milwaukee taught me about is being resilient. You know, I went back to school like nothing had happened because I was kind of used to being in somewhat of a hostile environment when I was living in the inner city portion of Milwaukee, hearing the gunshots and the sirens and the different things. So it almost became a form of, 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 of normalcy of, you know, that was kind of normal. You know, I would see my friends get harassed by the cops, you know, my next door neighbor, you know, houses getting broken into growing up. So, so yeah, I mean, but as I got older, I definitely understand how it was something that, it it bothers me to this day, just thinking about like, I could have been in a, that situation could have went horribly bad. Right. And so, so yeah, so just kind of hindsight being 2020 is something that I'm, I'm I'm definitely conscious about now, but back in that time, I mean, it was
1: very normal. And I think that experience um, kind of like shapes um, your motivation for how you respond to business and giving back. Would you say that would be correct? A hundred percent. Definitely. And not just that soul experience, but experiences like that, the experiences of your friends and family and just the community and, you know, just kind of the black American experience. hundred percent. So when did you decide to, when and why did you decide to move to Las Vegas? So
0: I can remember. So to get to that story, looping around, okay. uh, in 2003, I was working for a company, had been there about seven, eight years, uh, thought I was going to be there until I retired, huge aspirations in life or didn't know what I was going to do. I had you know, recently dropped out of college and being 21, 22, 23 years old, making about 50000 a year, I thought I had life figured out, single, no kids, and I'm like, okay, I'm on top. And so, I can remember going into work on August 13th, we getting a letter, we got a letter, all the employees stating that, you know, eventually this company will be sold uh, to a hedge fund company. Went in the next day, there were chains on the door. So, uh, wow, obviously didn't know what I was going to do, didn't really have any money saved up. I had no financial uh, uh, astuteness at that time. And so just kind of peddled my way through for a few months, but then I ended up stumbling into entrepreneurship by a way of network marketing. And so um, the biggest thing I always tell people why I love network marketing is, is that it taught me personal development. Mm -hmm. That one, that, that, that changed my life, personal development. So joined the network marketing company eventually hit like one of the top positions in the company within five months we started, you know, we would go to Las Vegas every year for our national convention. And then I remember we started to recruit a team because in network marketing, usually you're you're recruiting others right. as a thing to build your team. And so as we started to build a team in Las Vegas, I was one of the top individuals, at least on paper, within our organization. And uh, my, at the time, mentor came to me and said, Will, have you ever thought about moving out of Milwaukee? And I was like... I mean, I thought about it, just didn't know where to go. So he said, why don't you consider Las Vegas? You know, we have a, we're building an organization there. You know, you're young, single, no kids. And with your, you know, ambition uh, and tenacity, I think you would be a great fit for that. And so I can remember we did the national convention that year in 2005 in September. I got home. I bought a one-way ticket, and I left October 5th. I never looked back. And so, um, when I came out for the national convention, I remember coming out about a three days prior to the actual event. And I got to see life outside the strip because when you, someone who's never been to Las Vegas, you're just thinking strips, drugs, prostitution, gambling, casinos, etc. cetera, city. sin city. Yeah. But when I got to see life outside the strip, I'm like, wow, this is a normal city. You know, they have grocery stores, they have parks. <laughs> it's <laughs> so, so
1: funny you say that because you're right, right i would never think <laughs> of a grocery store in right. las vegas but they have to eat right they
0: you're right we have to eat and so i got a chance to see life outside the strip and so when i like i mentioned when i went back that september bought a one-way ticket Sold the few things that i did have at the time and bought a one-way ticket to las vegas october 5th 2005 and i have not looked back since so i moved out here kind of <laughs> Pursuing my entrepreneurial dreams. Great uh, rapper, Curtis Jackson, AKA 50 Cent said, I just have to mind something, get rich or die trying. Yes.
1: You know, in a metaphoric sense, go for broke. Absolutely. And so when did you become inspired to get into um, what you're into now as far as credit and finance and investing in, Then from there, when were you inspired to write your book?
0: Yeah, so um, my inspiration came first from a self-need. I can remember prior to moving to Las Vegas and, you know, I had a mentor who told me at the time he was a real estate attorney. And this was at the height heightened time of the real estate market just booming. I mean, you could be a you know a a pooper scooper and could have bought a house back then i mean it really didn't matter and he said well eventually credit is going to become the new dollar didn't know what he meant by that at the time but when i moved to las vegas i quickly found out couldn't rent an apartment with bad credit try buying a car with bad credit yeah you may get approved but your interest rate is 29 percent. and so uh you know i remember Asking one of the apartment complexes why I couldn't get the place because it wasn't like the best place to live in the city at the time. And uh, reluctantly, they gave me a copy of my credit report and I'm seeing a 400 credit score. I didn't know much about credit, but I knew a 400 was really bad. And so uh, I told myself, you know what? The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over expecting change. I got to do something different, you know, and I can remember being reluctant to call my parents asking them to co-sign for a vehicle for me. You know, I'm 26 years old, calling myself a man, but I'm asking other adults to co-sign for my car. So I was like, you know what, I, I, I have to alleviate and abort, you know, this situation. So I just started learning about credit just so I can fix my own. I couldn't afford to go to a company. And so uh, in between that transition, I, I, th- I think it was completely fate. I used to work for a, a law firm that did credit repair.
1: Now, oh, awesome!
0: So I kind of got a chance to learn about the insides or the back end of it, and I was like, you know what? This is something I can do for myself, and so just started really learning about credit, the credit laws, the, the 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 protection acts that have been put in place with us, with the Fair Credit Reporting Act and different things like that. And one of the things I also learned is that a lot of us credit is challenged or have you know derogatory or errors on there and we don't even know it because statistically at least at that time 70% of the people never pulled their credit report unless they went to try to apply for something and got denied and so over the time I just started working on my credit uh, matter of fact I, in my office I keep the folder of the file of what my credit file looked like prior to yeah kind of just as a uh, you know a, 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 a memoir of what I where I've come from So once I was able to get my credit cleaned up, I remember being able to buy my first vehicle without having to put a down payment down. And I'm like, man, this is, this is something different. And my, my payment was lower on a brand new vehicle than when I bought a, a a used vehicle (laughs) with a hundred thousand miles on it prior to. And then I remember uh, finally being able to buy my home. You know, I was, I never in a million years thought I would ever be able to own a house. You know, luckily in between that time, I ended up finding a, a sales job where I, I eventually started making good money. I was working at a sales company selling Internet advertising, became one of the top sales individuals. There was making six figures selling Internet ads online. So. Uh, so, yeah, so I was able to save some money by my first house. And I just told myself if this information was not only valuable for me, how it helped me. I want to help other people. Didn't look to do it from a credit repair business standpoint. I just wanted to go out and teach people. So I started going and setting up free workshops and I would partner with realtors and say, hey, I want to do free credit workshops. And they were like, well, what, what do you want out of it? I'm like, nothing. I just want to teach people because I thought it was something that, especially in the black community, we never learned about credit. You know, I didn't even know what credit was until I moved to Las Vegas. I can remember applying for things in my early 20s. And if I got approved or denied, I didn't know why, you know, I can remember, you know, being irresponsible with my credit cards. I didn't understand interest rates. I didn't understand, you know, all of those things. And so just as I started to learn more and more about it, I just wanted to do these free workshops. And then eventually I read something that if you find something you're passionate about and create a purpose behind it, you'll create an opportunity out of it. And so th- at that point, that's really when I started to look at it as a, as offering doing this as an actual business. And my first couple of times trying to set up the company, I failed miserably. And then I said, you know what, I'm going to have a different spin. My focus is just going to be credit education and the credit repair is just going to be a byproduct of what I'm trying to educate people. Because if you give somebody something, they're going to want to give back. And that's in the form of a monetary form sometime. So I, I, I started. People and I was giving them the information, and that was one of the things I was I, I attribute to to how I built my business and even with all my companies. That's that's what I focus on. I give
1: them the information. That's that's super impactful and inspiring. What you just shared. Thank you. Thank I just you. want to take the time to just put that out there. You know, um, that you you weren't even looking to do it as a as a business, you know, um, just to get the information out there because it's information people desperately need because, uh, you can even look at companies like Apple, right? Um, or Amazon, they have, you know, plenty of cash, but they're what they, they don't want to spend their cash because they can not just survive, but thrive on credit. That is uh, very true. You know, and that's something that um, it's an entire process. Like, um, you know, a lot of people think that you can't start a business if you, you know, there's a distinction between business credit and personal credit. Mm. Um, I know you can kind of go more into that, but, um, and, and I'm sure they... They may correlate somewhat, right, when you get into the details of it, but you, you can have two separate uh, credit scores.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's one of the kind of the things that I teach is that I think so often as we attempt to get into entrepreneurship, we let money be the determining factor of, of, of us going out there, uh, attempting to go at our goals and dreams, And one and what we've done, what I've done is I'm showing people that one, you don't have to go and try to save money for five, six, seven, 10 years. You don't necessarily have to have that feel from Beverly Hills. You know, you don't have to, you know, uh, absorb, absorb your 401k. Uh, You don't have to go out there and solicit angel investors. First of all, investors only invest in investable companies that are already making money. So it's hard to get someone to invest in something that based off of a proof of concept, far fewer in between. But let me show you... That really is an take- angel
1: investor. You know?
0: Right, that really is an angel investor. And so what we've done is we've shown people how to take the path of least resistance by leveraging their credit because let's say I need $5,000 to start my business, okay? I can go and get a, a credit card for $10,000, 15000 Guess what? Now I have the five grand I need to get started. But because we haven't been because we've been taught to look at credit from a consumer standpoint, we don't look at that as a path of, as I call it, getting to your capital stack. You know, uh, we've shown people how to leverage their credit to get revolving credit cards, literally to go and start any type of business they wanted to start. You know, even investing in real estate, starting a food truck, uh, a health spa, uh, the cannabis industry and. That's the thing that a lot of us have not been taught because we've been taught to look, when I get a credit card, I'm taking a vacation. I'm going to buy some material things. I'm going to go out on dinners and all these things versus what we teach. Hey, you get a credit card. That can be your marketing budget. That can be your startup costs. That can be the cost for you to get your business licenses. Because now when you, let's say you go and swipe that credit card for five grand to start your business, Guess what? You don't have to pay the five grand back right away. You'll have a minimum payment that's stretched out over as however long you need it to be, because in the beginning of your business, you're still going through proof of concept, getting clientele. So there's not as much stress on you versus if you get a a a loan from an investor for five, six, ten thousand, you may have to pay them back in 12 months. Right. You put yourself, your your back is against the wall. So then that's when you potentially could start compromising your integrity. And, and now you're, you're selling from a place of desperation with your business. So it just gives you a little bit more breathing room. And that, those are some of the things that we teach people uh, with, with some of our programs and truly how to understand credit. But it all starts with having great credit first personally. And then we also show you how to get credit through your business as well.
1: And so um, I also saw something that I was not familiar with. I'm just going to be honest about family credit. Mm -hmm. Can you explain that to us for a little while?
0: Absolutely. So it's more of a strategy, meaning that, okay, we understand statistically there's a high rate of businesses that fail within the first two years, which is why most banks don't give business loans, even though I think it's weird that you can go and get a hundred thousand in student loan debt, but you can't get a $5,000 small business loan. Right.
1: Or you um, can get, you know, money, (laughs) a car loan, which is a depreciating asset. You know, it's exactly. And so even though the student loan debt is not collateralized
0: either, let me just throw that out there. And so, um, so understanding, I go get some capital using my credit and something happens. My credit takes a bump and a bruise. Well, guess what? My business does not have to stop thriving in the event if I'm still trying to scale or grow or I need capital for working capital inventory or payroll, because guess what? I've been working on my business partner's credit, and now we can go and leverage his or her credit. He go to the bank and we can continue to still thriving as a business. Right. And so it's more of a strategy by just, and I always say it's all about positioning, meaning that. I literally can have great credit and set up five companies. Okay. I can get co- capital using my credit and getting access to revolving credit for all five of those companies. If my credit takes a bump or a bruise, most people may think it's the end of the world, but that's not true because credit can always be rebuilt, restored, and repaired. But while I'm going through that rebuilt, restored, and repair process, my business partner has great credit. So guess what? I'm going to add he or her to my companies. And now, that individual, my business partner, can go to the banks and still continue to leverage their credit to get capital. So it's more of a strategy. And we're um, not going to miss a beat.
1: We're going to still be able to operate business as
0: usual. at all. So that's one strategy. Secondly, I think we should be teaching our children about credit at a young age, because typically by the time they, if they decide to go to college or they go out into the real world, as I call it, they don't know any different. They're just frivolously applying for credit. Uh, you know, getting low-end department store cards and ruining their credit for a $500 Macy's card. Yeah, well, her we Best start, Buy card. Yeah, our Best TV. Buy. <laughs> right. So we start educating them. You can start building your children's credit as young as 13 by adding them on as an authorized user on your credit card. Mm-hmm. So now, not only are you empowering them, but now you want to start educating them. So now, by the time they turn 18, when they can actually go and pull a credit report, now they've learned how to be more credit responsibly, hopefully through, you know, you educating them. And then when they're ready to go and buy a vehicle, guess what? Mom and dad doesn't have to co-sign for them. Or if they want to be able to go rent an apartment or get student housing at the campus or whatever, now you're not on the hook for them. Or if they decide to go to college, their credit is in position to get the student loans. Because I'm a firm believer that if my child chooses to go to school, they should be the ones on the hook for the student loans. I shouldn't mortgage my credit for my child to go to school. And two years later, they decide to drop out. Now I'm on the hook for 200 grand or whatever the case is. So, you know, so I'm always teaching from a family credit standpoint, those strategies. And even with dealing with college, I tell the parents, hey, you want to educate your child to look at college as a business decision. You know, look, based upon what you're going to school for, is it going to make sense once you graduate? Is the information going to be outdated after four years? Can we just look at getting a certification? So, so yeah. So I mean, it's just all those different things. But yeah, the family credit strategies is definitely something we need to be. And family doesn't just mean blood. I mean, if we're in business, we're family. You (laughs) You have to be. Absolutely, a hundred
1: percent. So, so even from that standpoint, definitely. You know, I've had my share of business partners, and my whole thing is, hey, if something happens to me you're looking after my family, you know, right. the end of the day, you know, so it definitely has to be a family-based concept. Um, do you have any plans to write a second book? Yes. Uh, I'm actually working on the second book. Uh,
0: a lot of people probably assume it's going to be in a credit space, but my second book is going to be about entrepreneurship. Okay, uh, It's called a uh, full-time CEO, what they don't tell you. And that is because I think a lot of times individuals, they see the glamorized side of entrepreneurship. They don't see the sleepless nights. (laughs) They don't see the loss of friends, family, and relatives who probably will never spend a dime with you. They don't see the money you have to invest in yourself, not just into the business. They don't understand you will work around the clock. You're no longer trading time for dollars. And I think all of those things are Hard for people to fathom because, one, we're coming from a mindset where we're used to working eight hours and getting a check for how much they ever pay you a month, I mean, uh, per, per hour versus statistically it takes an average of 10,000 hours of, that you're actually legitimately working in entrepreneurship before you even see a, uh, any type of return. So a lot of it is just you working on your craft and you working on yourself because, as the great Jim Rohn says, when you change your thinking, that's when you become successful. So a lot of times in entrepreneurship, people don't become successful or make any money because they're still the same person they were before they got into business. You have to change your mindset. You have to change your attitude. Your work ethic has to be bar none. I mean, one of the things I've always prided myself on, even when I worked in corporate America, I outworked everybody. You know, I got I became one of the top salesmen at the companies I worked for because I outworked everybody. No one was going to outwork me. You may have more talent than me, but I'm going to outwork you. And that's how you have to look at entrepreneurship. You know, you, the, so my book, Full-Time CEO, if they don't tell you, it, it's more about the, the, the actual sweat equity you have to put in entrepreneurship if you truly want to become that full-time CEO, as a lot of people so look to be able to uh, be in position to do.
1: That's a- amazing. Um, Thank you. Act- actually, my, um, the point behind this podcast is actually because it's going to correspond to a book I'm writing. Mm. I hope to be done with it, and it's, it's on entrepreneurship and empowerment. Mm. And I hope to be done with that by uh, this summer. So
0: definitely looking forward to to, to purchasing that. So
1: yeah, and I, I I definitely have to purchase all of your materials. You know, you, <laughs> thank you. If and I've been watching your you know your YouTube content, seeing your lives, but just having that the book because I know it just. It could even be the same information that's in the live, but the amount of work that it takes to actually write a book is so different. People don't understand. It definitely is.
0: Definitely. And and going into that question, um, the book I currently have Credit is King. Mm-hmm. Um it's interesting how that came up. It was completely organic. And so um I can remember as I was building my business starting to get a bit of a buzz, a gentleman who had a publishing company. And he was like, man, you ever thought about writing a book? We had ended up becoming friends. And I was like, yeah, you know, I think everybody kind of always has an idea. I want to write a book one day. I was like, I don't know what to write about. He was like, write about what you know, credit. That's what you already teach people. And he was like, I was like, well, you know, it's a billion books on credit. He was like, just put your own spin on it. I think you have an interesting concept about credit. And the one thing that, he, that stood out that he said is he was like, you make credit look cool. See, I think one of the things in the in dealing with credit and finances, you have a lot of quote-unquote gurus that make it sound so complicated. And so I say, you know what, if I write this book, I want to write it to where if a high school kid picked it up, they can read it. And so I literally wrote the book in two months. I just locked in. I would come home from work, be up till 2, 3 in the morning, just putting – really didn't have a format. I just kind of thought of some different topics that were – typically faqs and, and that's how i put it together and hence you know the the, the book credit is king which surprise sold, and still to this day sells so i'm still in awe of something that i've put out there that now the world will always be able to have a glimpse into my mind about what i thought and how i felt about credit and now it's also a, a residual <laughs> commodity Heirs, you know, my children absolutely for years to come. So, so
1: it's something it, that I it's on Amazon right it now out. is uh handpicked editor's choice, uh, best wow. uh business and entrepreneur book. Absolutely, wow, I, I didn't even know that. I, I just checked <laughs> so, today like an hour before wow. we got on the phone. So, wow, wow, that's up to date information. Wow, but how was the publishing process like with that?
0: I, I, I've always heard that there are different processes uh this one was more of a kind of like a self-publishing process except okay. they work and so we came up with the deal we actually kind of bartered and so all i had to do was provide the content they had someone formatted for me they came up with the design with my input and uh i mean it was very actually a very seamless process i mean it, it was it's easier than people think. Let me put it that way. Right. And so uh, and then we did it to where, you know, I'm able to to get 100 percent of the proceeds so I don't have to do any profit sharing. And usually the profit sharing comes in when the publishing company gives you an upfront advance. Right. And one of the things I'm big in it is, is is ownership. Ownership. Yes. I wanted to own 100 percent. of <laughs> So even if they would have offered me some money, which at that time probably would have been so minimal, I wouldn't have taken it yeah. because I mean, really didn't have a, a platform at that time, but yeah. So, you know, now I can go and buy a thousand copies myself and sell them out of my trunk. So, right. you know, it just kind of, so when you have ownership of something and that's the thing I try to teach people with why you don't always want to try to solicit investors all the time, because essentially you're mortgaging your, your, your legacy. You know, if you give up your equity too early, you know, I could come in and, and put equity in a, in a startup company, Let's say someone needed ten grand, and I say, you know what, I'll give you this ten grand, but I need sixty percent. Somebody may be desperate enough to do that just because they feel they have to get this investor money. And I try to teach entrepreneurs never mortgage your company, fix your credit, go get a line of credit from the bank, and put your brand up, <laughs> and you own a hundred percent ownership. So in the publishing process, yeah, I, I don't need the big publishing house name behind me because you have to do the work, whether
1: it's a big publishing house company or not, you know? Yeah. Yeah, You have to go out and meet with the people and everything and make, and sell the book. Yeah, definitely. So, so yes, I was really, uh, uh, conscious about making sure I had a hundred percent ownership of my book. And that's um, awesome that you were in a position to do that because like you said, most people would not be in that position. Definitely. Um, so you've written a book and you've also started two companies. Any plans to start a third? Uh, I
0: mean, I have a couple of things in the works. Okay. Uh, the biggest thing that I focus on is one is making sure I have my automation in place for all my businesses. Uh, now I do invest in other companies. Uh, one of the things that I've learned is that, you know, uh, the easiest dollar. To for. So if I see there's a, a nice situation, you know, going on. And if, uh, I see they could potentially use a, a, some infusion, you know, uh, i i i invest in other situations, right. you know? So, so yeah, so that's primarily what a lot I've been doing, but yeah, there's a couple other things we have, uh, under, uh, under our belts that we're working on. Okay. And if we were technical, technical, it's actually three companies. Okay. Cause I also do have a, a real estate portfolio. So we do have an investment company as well.
1: And you're currently doing, I actually want to save this question. So I'm going to segue slightly. If you okay. Well, bear with me for a second. Absolutely. But, um, biggest bubble currently between real estate, the tech industry and college. What are your thoughts on that? So, I'll start with real estate.
0: Okay. I always say that in real estate, and I'll speak primarily why I feel there was a bubble. One, because people overpay for everything. You know, So from an investing standpoint, people always ask me, hey, what do you feel if the market crash again? That's one, if you purchase the proper way, meaning from an investment standpoint, it doesn't impact you as much. If I know a property is only valued at a hundred thousand, I'm not going in bidding one hundred and fifty just because I like the the marble floors right. in the kitchen, just because I want it. That's right? yeah, and that's where we got in trouble. There was a great movie called The Big Short. That's I love really that movie. What happened? Love the movie. We it's overpaid a great book too. for things. Very. I never read the book, but yeah, it was a very good movie. We overpaid for everything, and then they made it so easy for you to get a loan or a mortgage on that property. And so, that's one of the things from a business standpoint, uh, excuse me, the bubble when it comes to real estate. And so, uh, there are a lot of people who invest in real estate who really don't know the craft of it. They just buy properties to say they purchase. So, for example, I you buy a property for, let's say the property is selling for 200000 okay? Your mortgage titles, taxes, insurance, Your your, your mortgage may come out to, let's just say for lack of better terms, 1500. The most I may be able to rent that place out for is maybe 1400. So I'm making a hundred dollars a month. When you, there's a calculation that goes into real estate investing to determine if your ROI worth it. That's how most people purchase real estate. You're really not making money because yeah, you're getting a hundred dollars every month, but the water heater goes out, you're in a hole. And so if you don't understand the equation on how to factor, how to determine what your ROI is, have five, six properties under your belt. The, the market takes a, the, the needle moves within the market. Now you're housing a whole bunch of properties where the equity is upside down and your property bought at 200 is worth 100. That's one of the things
1: with the bubble. For that to occur, the market doesn't even have to crash. It just has to go through like a slight dip, <laughs> right? You're looking at margins. Oh, at very point. slight dip. A very slight dip, and then now you're looking at collective
0: economics because you have multiple properties where you're now undervalued, and so the same thing I think even with now as far as in, I uh, think that one the cost of tuition has risen over the past twenty years by approximately about eighty plus percent. Right. Wages don't increase at that pace, and so and then we're also operating at the point of, you go to let's take the tech industry. You go to a four-year institution to learn about tech industry, well, typically information changes about every 18 months. You've just spent, you know, four years learning information for a technology industry that's changing very rapidly. So by the time you graduate, guess what? That information is outdated. Then what do you have to do? You got to go back to school. And that's not even just in tech. That's in a lot of areas and arenas. arena. So right. it causes a bubble in People, and I see it a lot because we deal with people in in reviewing their credit, they have hundreds of thousands of dollars in student loan debt and coming out competing for jobs, making 30 grand a year. You know, now, like I mentioned, and I don't know if I mentioned, I'm a college dropout, but I knew those numbers didn't make sense.
1: Right. (laughs) You know, so. When you just do the math. (laughs) Right. So I go through the process of having to get that job, too, you know. The, the
0: competition. Right. And so, so yeah, so and I, if you're I, a I so-so
1: student, you know, you have a you got out of college with a 2.5, maybe even a 3.0, oh, it's you know. even more difficult. Right. Even more difficult. And a so 3.0 that that's a B average. That's pretty good, right? It's a B average, right.
0: You're when competing you're competing with the against the the people ID who leagues. took
1: multiple classes, <laughs> double majored and had right. internships and everything else. So. Yeah. So, so it becomes uh,
0: – it, it definitely becomes you're the, hamps- the hamster on the wheel going through life, the rat race. And so that's where those bubbles come in at in those different industries. We're, we're, we're kind of misled into this sense of security in these industries, but we don't go out and get the proper information for ourselves. You know, I think it's now become a fad for us to go and do real estate. It's become a fad for us to just, you know – I know it's a lot in the black community. I will say sometimes, you know, we go to school just to go to school sometimes. Yeah. And that's why I say we need to look at it as a business decision. If I want to be a doctor, I know I got to go to college. Right. You know, but if I want to go in sales or be a business entrepreneur, I don't have to go to Major. I go in intern somewhere, <laughs> you know, and so just understanding. And like, really get we need more have of these effect, discussions. A hundred percent.
1: We need to have discussions. And that's where a lot of it will start at. Because, you know, people will say, oh, you're an intern, you're not making money, right? But when you're going to college, you're not making money, though, either. At all. At all. You're spending money. And then <laughs> the level of knowledge that, again, you can't put a price tag on experience. You can't. You can't. Because, Once, you know, you, you've said it in your videos learning from failure. And then there's a famous
0: thing that I love to tell myself and I tell a lot of people, I never let schooling get in the way of my education. Absolutely. And so just because I didn't finish, you know, secondary schooling, I still continue to educate myself. And that's where a lot of times I think, you know, we, we need to do. Even if you went to college, MBA, PhD, you still need to keep learning. It may not necessarily be co- traditional but you need to learn life skills. You, I think
1: everybody should learn entrepreneurship, you know? So yeah, all those things. Yeah. Even if you're not going to apply it, but I I think it will help you in every facet of your life. Absolutely. Because you need to kind of know a little bit of everything to be a successful entrepreneur. Absolutely. Okay. So uh, getting into real estate, um, you know, did you have mentors that led you into real estate, or what kind of transpired there?
0: Yeah, definitely. So, one, I, I definitely had mentors, but you know, when I sit back and reflect and think about real estate, my grandfather actually was my first mentor. Okay. Uh, my grandfather in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, you know, uh, had a fifth grade education, but he had over forty-five properties in the city of Milwaukee. Mm. And I can remember going to work with him uh, every single summer, the summers that I would not go to, mo- uh, go to Mississippi uh, to visit my other set of grandparents. And I didn't know at the time he was teaching me about real estate the entire time, the importance of it. Uh, my grand never worked in corporate America. He owned two car washes as well. And as I've gotten older and understand, he who owns the most land wins at residual income was a millionaire before he was 30. And so uh and then my parents at one point had some uh investment in rental property. So I was always around it but I never took it serious one because it wasn't taught to me in the format of you know traditional teaching. Mm-hmm. But that goes back to that internship. I was an intern for my grandfather and didn't even right. know it. And so I was always kind of around it and
1: then We can't even say you were like his apprentice. You were a protege (laughs) because, you know, family, (laughs) you were the heir.
0: Right, right. I was the protege. And so as I got into the industry of credit and business credit and all of that, I understood that real estate and credit go hand in hand because you can't get real estate without having what? Credit. And then they have the same. Well, I just buy all my properties cash, and then I would tell these investors, "Guess what? Eventually, you will run out of cash. I'll never run out of credit because as long as I have great credit, fifteen different banks and get some capital. And then, if the bank did decide to stop lending me credit because they really can't, because guess what? I'll just set up several other companies because they you can get lending or capital against. But in the event if they were to cap me, guess what? I have my family member in position. So now we use our family members credit. So it's really just all strategy. So I always tell people, we don't have a money problem. We have a strategy problem. We don't know the strategies, but once you learn the strategies, guess what? You can go out there and maneuver in any type of uh, you know, scenario. You can go and start any type of business. You can go and invest in whatever your goals or dreams are. And I'm not telling people to frivolously and go out there and be carefree, but I will tell you, at least it gives you the flexibility because if something does happen, guess what? I can go and fix my credit, <laughs> you know? And so it, it's, you're not in credit purgatory if something happens.
1: So we just have to understand strategies. Absolutely. I have about four more questions for you. If you can just, uh, Oh, absolutely. Stay with me here. But, um, cause I, I know we're, you know, I know you're a very busy man and you have a, packed schedule as always but um, what are three books that you would recommend other than your own which is called again we have to plug the book uh, Credit <laughs> is King Transforming Your Credit to Royalty A Common Sense Guide to Understanding the Power of Credit and you can buy that mm-hmm. available at Amazon it's under $20 and you will get great value from it and let's not forget to add
0: that there is also an audible version on audible.com oh, and iTunes. Excellent. Audible. So, okay. You know what?
1: So. I'm I'm buying the Audible tonight. I have a... Thank you. I have the uh, coin for it right now. I have the... Uh,
0: Thank you. Yes. The credit. Yeah, Absolutely. the credit. Yeah, Absolutely. the so, t- uh, credit. Uh, I appreciate that. So, yeah. So, whenever I sit down with a new uh, mentee uh, client, uh, coaching client, there are probably about three books that I, I recommend. They are prerequisites to you being... Not even just an entrepreneur, but just in life. One of them is, I always say, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Great book. Incredible book. That book changed my life. Mainly because, well, every book, I'm going to say, changed my life. (laughs) Because you can get something uh, from anything, right? Absolutely. And so uh, the reason I love that book is that, one, when you're in business, you're in the people business. And that's the thing that I'm always telling people is because people have to know, like, and trust you. They don't care what your company name is. They don't care. I mean, the stuff we put emphasis on on why we can't get out there, people want to do business with people who they one know, like, and trust. And two people don't care about how much you know until they know how much you care. So I'm always telling people, if you are an entrepreneur and you're selling a product or service, If people know or they can feel you're doing it just for the sale, that's going to be a short-lived process. But when people say, you know what, Pete, I really do feel you genuinely care about me understanding more about credit or how to do a podcast or whatever the case is, I'm going to look more into this. And not only that, sometimes just knowing how to deal with people, a lot of individuals we've 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 lacked hope so sometimes just giving someone a word of encouragement so i have a rule i try to treat everybody like they are ten i don't care if you're the janitor or the ceo i'm I'm gonna give you the same respect so that's definitely that's definitely one of the books uh another book i always recommend and for those who may not know how to win friends and influence people is by dale carnegie um the other book that I, i like to recommend is called the power of focus By uh, several authors, uh, Jack Victor Hanson. They were uh, Mark Victor Hanson was the uh, the uh, one who kind of came up with the uh, chicken soup for the entrepreneurial soul series. Okay,
1: okay, yeah. I think I started that book and I did not finish it. I'm ashamed to say, but oh no, that's fine because you can always. But uh, the reason I love that book is
0: that it really to you about balancing your life. Um, You know, it's supposed to be one of the great books on how to achieve financial uh freedom and all of that life, meaning how do you deal with things from goal setting? How do you deal with your mindset? Because 80 percent of success is mindset. Like I talked about, when you change your thinking, that's when you become successful. Uh, how to deal with work and life balance, which is still a struggle for any entrepreneur. But they, you know, they have some exercises in there to help you with that. So it really just kind of gives you a glimpse into knowing what you have to be up against. Hey, entrepreneurship is a lonely road, you know, and you have to be yeah. willing to travel it, whether you by yourself or or or, or by or you're gonna have a, a support team, you know. So that's the the second book. Uh, my third book, I believe that as an entrepreneur, you should always want to learn more about leadership mm-hmm. because to get to the status of having a company, company is comprised of humans, meaning you have to have other people with you. And to grow a successful company, people have to believe and buy into you. And so the third book I always recommend is the 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership by John Maxwell, who's written a ton of books on leadership.
1: That's a transformative
0: book. Very much so. We used to study this book when I was in network marketing. All of these books I've learned and study when I was in network marketing and I didn't even realize how it would play a role in my life 15 years later, you know? And so that book teaches you on leadership, everything body in, you know, uh, not leading with fear, you know? uh, I mean, it's it's just the the law of the lead. Your team is only going to be as strong as your leadership. So if you have weak leadership, guess what? Eventually your, your, your business will crumble. And so just learning all these different principles on leadership has been tremendous and and, and 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 also understanding that you want to help develop other leaders. I don't want to be the the only one at the forefront of my business. I want to cre- I want to be able to duplicate myself because that's how you can as I say disappear from your company meaning you're still a successful company you're still been you know the the reap, reap, reaping your benefit but now guess what I've created three more will round trees you know, or whatever the case is. And so, yeah, the, the, how to win uh, the 21 Irritable Laws of Leadership, incredible book. And all of these books have audible audio versions. Yeah, I was not an avid reader back then. This was back during the time when in 2005, you had to go to the library and rent the CDs. Some people may not know what a CD (laughs) is.
1: My mom still (laughs) does that actually.
0: (laughs) So, But now you have YouTube. All of these books are on YouTube for free. So, you know, I would have what we call a university on wheels. I, I would turn off the radio and put on some audio books. So whether I was going to the store taking a long drive where I would be in the vehicle for a few hours, I I was, I was reprogramming my subconscious, you know, with these uh, audio
1: books. Definitely. I, I love all those books. Um, I think I'm going to go back and reread the power of focus and, Absolutely. Give it some more attention from coming from your expertise, your recommendations. So, Thank you. And what would you say are the distinctions between passion and motivation?
0: Mm. So I think with motivation, a part of that can be a little bit jaded because you may be motivated based upon the dollar that's attached to your your, 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 your journey, your, what your product or service, when you're passionate about something, you'll do something, whether there's a check attached to it or not. And I tell people or people often ask, what's one of the biggest things of what's one of the biggest pieces of advice you can give someone I'm saying, what are you willing to sacrifice? You know, I sacrifice not making any money at the, you know, in the beginning of my journey, but that's because, I was creating my purpose of why I was doing it, you know, so I was willing to go out here and teach people about credit, whether I got paid for it or not. It just so happened to turn into something because again, when people, people don't care about how much, you know, until they know how much you care. People cared about the fact that we was willing to show up at their apartment complex and teach them how to become homeowners. People cared because we were willing to show up to the colleges and teach them how to, you know, uh, and understand credit before they graduated people care because we were going into churches teaching the parishioners about, you know, uh, financial literacy. And so, yeah, I think the biggest thing between motivation and, and purpose is, I mean, sometimes motivation, your motivation is the money, but when you, when you have a purpose behind something, you're not doing it for a check. You would do it whether you were getting paid or not.
1: Okay. That, that, I, I love that answer. I, I, I tend to agree with it. Um, So tell us more about, um, you know, we can see that you have a very generous nature and that lends itself to not only how you do business, but also philanthropy. So tell us more about Common Tree.
0: Yeah, so Common Tree is a a nonprofit organization, uh, which, you know, we started essentially just kind of giving back to the, the, the city of Las Vegas. It initially started out just as a food program to go into some of the inner city schools. We will provide lunches to them because one of the things that we have learned over the years is that a lot of times these children aren't misbehaved or have, you know, the challenges that people think they have. They're just hungry. You know, I can remember, uh, you know, having friends who would come to school and didn't eat dinner at home. So of course you're going to come to school probably a little cranky. Right. And so from there, it just kind of grew. We started doing more outreach programs where, Now we do, you know, uh, uh, back to school drives. We, you know, uh, put together workshops where we teach people how to create resumes and, you know, uh, get suits donated to men and dresses donated to women. So now they have proper attire to go on. You know, a lot of times when I had my uh, one of my businesses, uh, I went through an interview process and I can remember back 40 percent of the people who came in didn't have proper clothing or attire. Right. And I would ask them, they didn't have anything to wear, or they didn't know what to wear. So a lot of the things we take for granted, or when we prejudge people based off their appearance, a lot of times people just don't know any better or don't have the means. So it meant merely just a, a, an outreach uh, that we've put together for the community. And now uh, going into our, I want to say probably fourth year, now we do a lot of in-school mentorship, you know, really big. Cause I believe that if, If we can help the kids and the children at the developmental stages, which is typically like around, you know, uh, fourth to fifth grade, and we can help impact and give them a different perception, you know, in most elementary schools, you know, you don't see a lot of black or African-American teachers, especially men. And so we going in as mentors to them, teaching them things that they're not getting, uh, you know, um, privy to. We're teaching them about life skills. We're teaching them how to, especially the men. We work primarily the, the 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 men. We will work with the young boys. The women will work with the young girls. We will teach them how to tie a tie. We will teach them, you know, the importance of hygiene. We will teach them the importance of you know keeping a haircut. We would provide haircuts for them. You know, teaching them the importance of working out, being active. You know, and different things like that. How to, you know, uh, build your self confidence. Uh, how to properly hand how to greet someone, some, something as simple as that, you know, we would make them greet each other and look another man in the eyes, do a firm handshake. So, so yeah, so it's really just an all around outreach uh, program that we wanted to instill. And, you know, uh, that, that's how that all started.
1: You know, handshakes are very important on my, uh, the first episode of Trap Life. Uh, my guest actually talked about the importance of that. So even mm. someone practicing that is a sign of emotional intelligence, right? Definitely. You know? And um, this is my final question. It's a little bit controversial. I will warn you. Um, okay. You know, feel free to respond however you want to respond. If you want to say no comment, that's more than fine. But I have to present it to you. Okay. Okay. Do you believe in reparations in principle with them? Maybe not the policy or the rollout of it all, but do you believe that that's something worth pursuing? I personally
0: believe that, yes. I mean, Blacks are the only ethnicity group on the face of the earth in the, in America that has not gotten any reparations for not only what's happened to us as a culture, but what we've been what we were once enslaved—I mean, essentially, we f- f- created Washington. I mean, a portion of America would not be here without the blacks in America. So I, I really do feel that there is some just due for that, uh, and to whatever degree, how it would be—you know—it doesn't even necessarily have to be monetary. But I do believe there should be some form of reparations
1: for us as, as a race, as a culture, uh, and as a community would you be in favor of like tax exemption for a period of time or uh, entrepreneurship grants? Definitely. That's why I say it doesn't even necessarily have
0: to be monetary where we're getting a monthly stipend. Yeah. I mean, it could be tax breaks. It could be, you know, uh, like you say, um, uh, business, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, reparations or whatever the case is. I mean, even if it's what, portion of having your college tuition discounted or something like it doesn't necessarily have to be where we're getting a stipend every month and i think that's where a lot of people are kind of up in arms where they're thinking hey we want to be able to get a five thousand dollar check every month like money is not the ultimate motivator for everybody you know And so um or even credit restoration right yeah credit restoration right we'll be the company that would all day so uh, okay. So, you know, I, I definitely believe that, you know, uh, something uh, could be done without it, you know, breaking the, the 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 taxpayers' dollars even more than where we are from a,
1: a country deficit. Well, I have to say you answered that question like a champ. So thank you. I greatly appreciate that. Um, just before I let you go, I have to say you will be in Detroit at giving a corner class. Right. This That's correct.
0: Yes. Yes. So we have a a corner class series where we go out to the middle of, as we call it, the hood, usually in the inner city. And we go out there and we teach people about financial literacy, rain, sunshine, whatever weather condition. uh, And we go out there with the whiteboard and teaching kind of like a classroom style class completely for free. And this is our third year doing so. That's amazing. And who do you do that with? Um, It's myself, and then I have a partner by the name of Jay Morrison, who is the CEO and founder of the Jay Morrison Academy. Uh, We also have a partnership with a company. We also have uh, put together an online – well, not an online, but a a curriculum by the name of RBCs, which, you know, most people think RBCs, I, I would say, are the three pillars in life that we need to learn in order to create some form of wealth for our families and with that standing for real estate, business, and credit, those are the foundational components about real estate. You learn about business and credit being the foundation of those two. You'll always be able to create wealth. And so, uh, so, yeah, so like I mentioned, this is our third year going on our Corner Class Tour.
1: I like that, RBCs. That's awesome. Well, it's been a true honor to have you on Trap Life with us today. Um, Thank This you. episode is that we'll actually go out tomorrow, Wednesday. So, okay. And I'd love to have you back on in the future whenever you have some time in your schedule. So, oh, all you, all you have to
0: do is, 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 is uh, say the word and we're here. I appreciate you, Pete. And, uh, I look forward to uh, hearing the podcast and whatever I, I have to do to continue to spread the word, which I'm pretty sure there's millions of people already listening. Uh, just let us know how our team can help. I appreciate that. Have a good one. Thank you. Okay. You too. Thank you, Pete. Take care. Take care. Bye. Hey, peace family. Will Roundtree. And here's my story I'm sharing on Trip Life Podcast. And let's make sure we stay connected. So make sure you follow me on social media across all platforms at Mr. Will Roundtree. Uh, Make sure you also subscribe to my YouTube, same handle. And I hope my experiences inspire you. And remember, dreams over doubt. Stay updated by checking out the newest episode of the most electric podcast in the world on Wednesdays and Sundays. Peace.